Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning. Our reading this morning is from 1 Samuel 13, 8 through 14. At the end, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond with, thanks be to God. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I have a feeling the Lord has plans to move in a pretty powerful way this morning. He's been, uh, he's been teaching me quite a lot um, in these last couple of weeks. And specifically, he's been uh, showing me a lot of things about myself, about uh, ways that I had drifted from him, ways that I've drifted from intimacy with him. Um, He's shown me my sin in, in areas of my life that I was blind to. And you know, it's an interesting thing. <clears throat> when, you forget, when you forget that you have sin or that or you don't see it the way that God sees it, you stop appreciating the gospel. You, stop, you start to feel more like you're entitled to God's love or you're entitled to his favor. Paul said in, in 1 Timothy 1, he said, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. The Apostle Paul, <laughs> he thought of himself as a sinner. He thought of himself as the chief of sinners. And because of that, he saw the grace of God for what it was. Incredible. Incredible. Undeserved. And that kept him close to the heart of God. So God's been doing this work in my life. He's been showing me my sin. Letting me fall on my face. Showing me the areas in my life that I thought, I'm good, I got it. And I'm not. 
not good. I don't have it together. And the result is that Jesus said, he who's been forgiven much loves much. The result is that I can't believe how much God loves me. I can't believe it. So my heart has been stirred up to return to this intimate relationship with God. And I, and I believe this is what he wants for our church. I believe he wants our church to pursue his heart. Not just to do things. Not just to go through certain motions or to practice certain behaviors. But to pursue his heart. David was a flawed, broken sinner of a king. But he was after God's heart. And Saul, um, who preceded David, who we're going to look at today, Saul wasn't after God's heart. That was why God removed him and replaced him with David. It wasn't the specific things that he did. It was the heart that was in him. So I, I want to today to take a look at Saul, but to try and take a look at our own selves. I've been praying this prayer this week that God would cause our hearts to melt like wax before him. And so as we look at Saul, as we, as we see, we're going to look at five different indicators in Saul that showed where he had departed from intimacy with God, uh, that these five indicators, my prayer is, where we see these in our own lives, we will wake up to where we've drifted from God. And, and that we would return to Him with whole hearts. That our desire would be to know Him at the heart level. There's this thing, as parents, um, Tiffany and I, we say that our goal as parents is to keep our children's hearts. What we mean when we say we want to keep their hearts is that we don't want their obedience to be purely external. We don't want them to do what's right because we're in the room, but that they would actually love us and obey out of love for us, out of respect for us. That's, what we, that's our goal. And there are just ways in my own personal life that God showed me he did not have my heart. We'll get into that in a little bit. But pray with me. And just begin to ask yourself, even now, if God has your heart. Father... You do love us. 
so much. It is beyond comprehension. It is true that Christ came into this world to save sinners. And we are sinners. And we are deeply loved. You want relationship with us, God. You do yearn jealously for intimacy with us. So God, would you do what only you can do today? Show us if we've drifted, to what degree we've drifted, where we're drifting, and draw us back in. Make our hearts melt like wax before you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This book, the Bible, is God's story. It's his revelation of himself to us. And this book, this story, begins with a man and a woman in love getting married in a garden. And it ends with Christ getting married to the church, his bride. And I think we should stop and ask ourselves, who is this God that would begin and end his story with a wedding? What kind of a God would do this? If this is a book that is to reveal to us who God is and what he's like, then one of the main things that we see when we read it is that God is a God of relationship. That he longs for relationship. That when he created Adam in the garden and he was alone, it was not good. God is a God who desires relationship, loves relationship. Marriage and friendship and community, these things are God's idea. They originated in his heart. And even before the world was made, even before the foundations of the world, Jesus said in John 17, the Father loved him. They were in a love relationship together. And so Jesus came, this is, he says this all in his prayer in John 17, so that that love could be shared with us. This is the message we see over and over in the Bible that God longs for, even yearns jealously for, intimacy with us. The word intimacy it's been said, can mean into me see. Intimacy is knowing another person deeply and them knowing you deeply. And so we grow in intimacy with God as we truly get to know Him, get to know His heart, not just facts about Him, not just the stories about Him, but that we actually know Him in a real, tangible, experiential way. 
So today we're going to look at Saul. We're going to see the ways in which he showed signs, indicators that he didn't really know God. Ways that he showed signs and indicators that he was far from God's heart. He is the first king of Israel, and he starts off well enough, but soon he begins to drift. And the Lord takes the throne away from him and gives it to David, because David is a man after God's heart, which means that David pursues God. It means that David wants to know what God wants in every situation. It means that at the deepest desire, the deepest level of David's heart, he wants God. And so let's look at um, 1 Samuel 13. We're going to see this, um, this beginning of this falling away. As you're turning there, I'll set the stage. So um, the Philistines are Israel's main threat at the time. But every time that Israel goes up against the Philistines, uh, the Lord gives them victory. And in uh, the beginning of this chapter 13, uh, um, it seems like Saul starts to get a little bit arrogant. He blows a trumpet throughout all the land saying, let the Hebrews hear, because they've had a victory. And the Philistines say, okay, you want to fight. And they, they show up. An impressive force. Um, it says in verse 5 that uh, they show up with 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops too many to number. Troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. And Saul's got a few thousand with him. And they realize, I think, I think we may have picked a fight we can't win. Saul realizes he's in a tight spot and he's got a lot of pressure. And to be fair to Saul, he, he really is in a tight spot. He really is in a high pressure situation. And so we're going to look at verses 8 through 14 and see the ways that he blew it here. And see the indicators that we might find in our own lives when we've drifted from intimacy with the Lord. Here's the first indicator. The first indicator is we're not careful to fully obey the Lord. We're not careful to fully obey the Lord. Look at what happens. So so Saul's army is deserting. They're hiding out in rocks and caves and tombs. And Samuel has told him back in chapter 10, verse 8, that he said, when you go to Gilgal, I'll be there in seven days. And and after seven days, I'm going to come, I'm going to offer the sacrifice, and I'm going to direct you what to do. So now Samuel's a prophet of the Lord. So when he gives a command, it's a command from the Lord, okay? And so Saul, he, he doesn't refuse to listen to that altogether. He waits the seven days, right? So there's a part of him, like, he's going, he's going to do what he's been told to do. 
So he waits the seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but then something doesn't turn out exactly like he was expecting that it would. Verse 8, he waited the seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. So we see that it's not, it's not that he didn't pay any attention to the command that was given, but it's that the command was given, he gave it a go, it didn't seem like it was going to play out, it seemed like the situation dictated a new direction, and so he took matters into his own hands. He wasn't careful to fully obey the Lord's command. When you read Deuteronomy, I've recently been studying in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, over and over and over, this idea comes up. Be careful to obey all that the Lord has commanded you. Be careful to obey all. You see, like Saul, we often think that our situation changes the rules. Like Saul, we think that um, because things got hard or didn't turn out like we thought they should, we have an excuse. So, the Lord showed me ways in which I've been compromising with sin, just like Saul. Ways in which I've thought, you know what? I mean, I've come this far. These remaining areas of sin in my life, I mean, I mean, am I really gonna, am I really gonna grow in those? And I began to make peace with things in my life, sin in my life. And this is what we do when we are not careful to obey all that the Lord commanded. We begin to have this compromising spirit with a little sin here and there. We ultimately are saying, you know, I've gotten rid of the big sins in my life maybe, but these these smaller sins, God's probably okay with those. But you see, there are no small sins because there are no sins against a small God. And every sin is an offense against an infinitely holy, infinitely majestic God. And so to make peace with sin, to compromise with sin, is to do exactly what Saul did here. I gave it a go, and I mean... Surely God's pleased with that. Gave him my best shot. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, where am I allowing remaining sin in my life? Where am I not going after that sin and ridding my life of that sin? In what ways am I not being careful to completely obey? Where have I sort of shrugged my shoulders at sin? We shrug our shoulders, right, when, when we, we, we have a laid-back 
or sort of a nonchalant attitude about something. You know? It's, for me, that's pizza. Like, if, if we're going to have pizza, it's a, all right for me, you know? It doesn't get me excited. It'll fill my stomach. It'll do what it's supposed to do. I can, I can go to sleep that night and not be hungry, but it's just okay, right? That's what we do when we're just, eh, about something. And God began to show me that this is the attitude that I had picked up about the sin, the remaining sin in my life. Eh, just kind of, it's no big deal. But if we would be the people who are after God's heart, who pursue God's heart, who want intimacy with him, then we can't have that heart. We, we read in Acts 13, 22, this, the same statement about David that the Lord sought out a man after his own heart. Acts 13, 22 says, And when God had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. And then it says, who will do all my will. That's what it is to be a man or a woman after God's heart. Is that your great desire is to do all his will. It's to see obedience permeate every single part of your life, your thought life, what you look at, what you say, your motives, your reactions, your attitude, your work ethic, the way that you steward your body, your time, your resources, everything is under his control. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the Lord saw Saul's careless approach to obedience and said, I'm going to find a man after my own heart who will do all my will. So that's the first indicator that we've drifted, is that we're not careful to fully obey the Lord. The second indicator that we have drifted from intimacy with the Lord is that we rationalize and excuse our disobedience. And this is very connected to the first one. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you didn't come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at McMash. You see, when we have drifted from intimacy with the Lord, we rationalize our sin. Well, here's why I can't beat this thing. Here's why I keep doing that. We excuse it. Saul, I mean, you picture... He's finished doing this thing because he's like, well, Samuel's not coming. And he comes walking out, and here comes Samuel. And in that moment, what he should have felt was, I've been a fool. But instead, he 
feels, what other choice did I have? What other choice did I have? You see, when we shift from careful obedience to compromise, sin begins to deceive us. Sin always has a blinding effect. Always. And so, we're able to see sin in the lives of others, but not in ourselves anymore. We rationalize it away. We tell ourselves just this one time, I'm not hurting anyone, or I deserve this, or everyone else does too, or surely God understands, or eventually I'll get around to blank. Like Saul, we think our unique circumstances justify our behavior. Let's be honest, we are good with obeying the Lord until obedience is really difficult or inconvenient. And that's exactly what happened here with Saul. He was going fine until he was really tested. Until obedience became difficult. But it was when the obedience was really difficult that the Lord saw what was really in his heart. See, our circumstances don't make us act in a way that's contrary to our true nature. The pressures, the hard things that we face in life actually reveal what was already there inside of us. And so the other week when I was ready to fight a guy that, was, that flicked me off and blew his horn at me a couple times, that revealed that he didn't make me have that sinful anger inside me. He just revealed it. It was already there. Our sin that is exposed because of pressure, it was always there. God saw it, and He just revealed it to you through the test. So, rather than rationalizing our disobedience, how should we respond? Because we are going to sin, and and do not misunderstand this message. David was a sinner. The, the difference between Saul and David was not that Saul sinned and David didn't. In fact, if we were to line their sins up and compare, if you know the story, David's sins look a whole lot more egregious than Saul's. But how do we respond when we sin? How did Saul respond when he sinned? Well, it says in verse 15, um, Samuel arose and went up to Gilgal, and the rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. That's it. That's what we get. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't, he doesn't repent in dust and ashes. He doesn't say anything. <laughs> A good, a good indicator as to whether or not we have grown distant from the Lord is when was the last time you felt brokenhearted over your sin? When was the last time you shed a tear over your sin? Rather than rationalizing our sin, when we see our sin, we need to confess it. To confess your sin means to agree with God about it. 
Don't downplay your sin. You know, we do this, don't we? Don't we downplay our sin? Well, I got uh, a little bit impatient with my kids. No, you were angry and you lashed out and yelled at them. Well, it was a tough day with my eyes. You, you lusted. You committed adultery in your heart. Well, you know, I've just, I've just been feeling a little bit tight with my finances lately. You've become greedy, and you're not generous at all. You're not stewarding what God's given you. We downplay our sin. We don't call it, we don't name it what God calls it. And one of the things that results is that we don't appreciate grace. You see, we, we need to name our sin, call it what it is, so that we can appreciate what Jesus did for us. This is not a message of condemnation, church. This is, this is so that we can know the heart of God for us. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. But we've got, if we want to draw near to God, we've got to see it, stop rationalizing it, call it what it is, confess it, bring it into the light, and repent. And the Lord will restore us. Third thing, I've got to start moving faster. The third indicator that we've drifted from, the in, from intimacy with the Lord is that the thing that we're ultimately after is, is God's blessing rather than God himself. Look at verse 12. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. Not sought the favor of the Lord. So Saul's reasoning was, I, just, I need to perform this religious ritual so that God can bless what I'm about to go do. Which we do, right? Which is exactly what we do. This is, we're guilty of this. We say, okay, Lord, here's my business plan. Please bless it. Okay, Lord, here's what I'm going to do with my life if you would please just pour out your blessing upon it. Lord, here, here's what I'm going to do with my finances if you would just multiply them. Here's who I plan on marrying, God, if you could just make that happen. Here's where I'm going to live, Lord, provide for me. And we, we make our plans and we ask God to bless it. And what we're doing is we're showing a heart that's just purely religious. You see, this is a difference between religion and relationship. Saul was quite religious. He believed in the offerings. He believed in the sacrifices. It's, it's not that he didn't believe in those things. In other words, he went to church, he read his Bible, and he prayed. But at the end of the day, he just was going to direct his life. He was going to decide what he was going to do and then ask God to put his favor on that. This is the difference in being a man or woman who's after God's favor and being a man or woman who's after God's heart. So the Lord says, this guy has no desire to know my heart on things. And I'm going to find a king who will be after my heart. The fourth indicator that we've drifted from intimacy with the Lord 
is that we manipulate people and situations for a desired outcome. Whether that be through, you know, trying to play people a certain way or passive aggression or whatever your flavor of manipulation is. This is what Saul does. Look at the second part of verse 12. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offerings. I forced myself. This is a clear indicator that he's not trusting the Lord. Whenever you feel like you're trying to force something to happen, you should take note. You should stop and say, am I acting in faith and in the spirit right now, or am I acting in my flesh? If we try to force a certain outcome, we are rarely going to see that result in God's blessing and favor. You see, a person who is after God's heart rests in God's sovereignty. This is what we call meekness. The, the virtue of meekness, this characteristic, trusts that God is in control and that I can't make anything happen while I'm trusting Him. The definition of meekness that I love is the quiet confidence that comes when a person totally trusts God to work things out in the best way for His glory and our good. That's meekness. A quiet confidence that comes when a person totally trusts God to work things out in the best way for His glory and our good. I think John Piper said that. Meekness is often associated with gentleness because it can look like gentleness. Um, Because the meek person is not asserting themselves. They're not not self-willed. They're at rest. They're at peace. They're not anxious or impatient, but trusting confidently that whatever comes, God is in control. We see the opposite here in Saul. What's crazy is if Saul had just been a few hours more patient then this, none of this would have happened. He, he, he became impatient j- just when, if he would have waited a little longer, Samuel would have shown up. So he's impatient. He's, he's anxious in the situation. He's wringing his hands. He's not trusting God. Even though it didn't turn out the way exactly that he thought it was going to, Samuel was still coming. If only he had known. So we need to ask ourselves, where am I anxious, self-willed, or impatient? If I want to pursue the heart of God, then I must trust God. I must rest in His sovereignty and patiently wait for Him to act. This, fifth, this is the fifth indicator, and it's the one I really want. If, if you just take one thing home, I really want you to take this home. This is the fifth indicator in Saul's life that he drifted from Uh, intimacy with the Lord. His impulse was under pressure to look to himself. He looked inwardly when tested rather than looking to God. Look at verse 12. These first two words of verse 12. 
I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself. So where did Saul turn to for counsel? Himself. Himself. That seems like such a small offense to us. But it's massive over a lifetime. The impulse to turn to your own counsel when faced with a decision is what it is to live apart from God. That simple little thing is independence from God. This is exactly what our culture tells us to do, trains us to do. Our culture tells us that all the evil and all the bad and all the wrong in the world is out there outside of you. And that the key to flourishing is to look inside yourself, to find your own strength, to discover your true self, to look into your own heart. There you'll find what you need in this life. It's a lie. The Bible tells us the exact opposite. The Bible tells us that what's wrong with the world is me. I'm what's wrong with the world. And I need something then outside of me. And so when I'm faced with a decision, I can't trust me to figure it out. I can't turn to my own counsel to figure it out. I need to turn to God. And I love this. This is what David does. And obviously he doesn't do it perfectly and he doesn't always do it. But in 2 Samuel 5, if you flip over to there, starting in verse 17, we see David as a brand new king. He's just now taken the throne and he is tested in an almost identical way the Philistines, verse 17, 2 Samuel 5, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, but David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So what's David going to do? Will he do the same thing that Saul does? Will he turn inwardly and look inside himself and say, you know what, I am a tried and true leader. I know what to do in this situation. No. Very next verse. And David inquired of the Lord. Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. This seems so small, church, but it is so massive. This is what it looks like to be a man or woman after God's heart. In every circumstance, you get on your knees, you humble yourself and say, God, there's one thing that matters here. And that's what you want, period. 
That's what it looks like to be a man or woman after God's heart. What a difference this makes. What's incredible to me is that if we keep reading, he defeats them, verse 20. And look at verse 22. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So, what would I do in that situation? Okay, Lord, been here, done this, I already know. You don't even have to tell me. That's what I would do. But what should we do? We should fall on our knees again. We face the same situation that God already gave us an answer to. David falls on his knees. And look at what God says this time. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up. Go around to their rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself. For then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. So, same situation And David inquires of the Lord again. And this time the Lord says, you know what? We're going to do it differently this time. That's the key. We're going to do it differently. God goes with him. That's where the victory comes from. And and so I think that's why he does it differently the second time around. It's so that David just knows, like, you know, what's, what's really important is that I hear what God wants me to do. And he may ask me to do it weird. Wait for the sound of marching in the balsam trees? That's not like a wartime strategy that he passed on to the armies. That was just a weird thing that didn't make any sense that God just wanted him to do so that he would trust him. And when we walk with God like this, and when we seek guidance from God, when we are facing decisions, when our first impulse is to fall on our knees and say, God, what do you want? Sometimes he's going to ask us to do strange things, things that don't match our logic, but that are best. At the end of Saul's life, the word of God tells us in 1 Chronicles 10, 14, he did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David. So what does it mean to be a person who's not after God's heart? You just live your life without seeking guidance from him. It seems so small. You ask your business partner what to do instead of God. You ask your coworker or you ask your friend or you just ask yourself, what should I do here? It is impossible to live in true relationship with the living God apart from prayer and listening and obeying. And so just to recap, to be a man or woman that pursues the heart of God means that we're careful to obey all that the Lord commands us. We don't downplay our sin, but we own it and confess it. We pursue God's heart over God's favor We rest in the Lord in all circumstances with meekness. And we seek the Lord in prayer in every situation.
in summary, another way that you could summarize Saul's failure as a king. Um, two chapters later, the Lord kind of drives the nail into the coffin on this, um, removing him from the throne. He, he doesn't fully obey the Lord yet again. He, he sort of does. He does most of what God said, but he just doesn't carefully obey. And the result is, the Lord says, I regret that I ever made this guy king. Okay? I regret that I ever made this guy king. And the, the indictment from the Lord is to Saul is, um, he says in, 1 Samuel 15, 22, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. At the end of the day, Saul had a listening problem. He had a listening problem. And in Psalm 81, we read the very beginning of just a little while ago, um, It's been said that Psalm 81 is a summary of God's message to his people throughout the whole Old Testament. And and starting in verse 8, he says this, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Do you see the heart of your God? Do you see how he longs for intimacy with you? How he longs for relationship with you? This is not the song of a frustrated, impatient, angry God. This is the serenade of a husband whose wife has drifted away. Whose wife has closed her ears. Whose wife no longer listens to his voice. And three times he says, listen to me. I think the Lord is calling me, I think the Lord is calling us, to return to God's heart, to return to an intimate relationship with Him. Where we fall on our knees at every situation that arises, where we cry out to Him, God, what's your heart in this? And where we listen to what He says back to us, and we obey. There's only been one who's ever done this perfectly. It wasn't David. Only Jesus 
has ever perfectly listened to the Father's voice. Only one, only Jesus has ever perfectly obeyed. Church, do you believe that because of Jesus, your Father loves you? He loves you. He covers your sin. He's done away with your sin so that you can be in relationship with him. Let's not squander it. Let's not squander it. Let's turn to him again afresh and pursue his heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we confess that we are not good at um, pursuing your heart. God, we are, we are not good at consistency. We drift. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things grows up in our hearts and chokes out your word. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for our dull hearts, for our closed ears, Lord, forgive us for rationalizing our sin, for not being careful to obey you. God, would you help us? Would you place within us a new, a willing spirit, a spirit to follow you wholeheartedly? God, would you draw near to us as we draw near to you, as we open our mouths wide, satisfy us, fill us. Oh God, you're the only one who can. In Jesus' name, amen.